Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and put them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello and welcome to Album Clash. I am Tim. And I am Kev. And one of these weeks, I'll stop using that really cheesy voice to introduce the show, but not this week. <laughs> so yeah, welcome to what is the second part of our fourth album clash. Kev, just remind people what we're going to be going through today. So uh, this week, this week we will be going through as a debut album, Moon Safari. And uh, so yeah, last week we went through Daft Punk's debut album, Homework, and yeah, basically the connection is it's quite lazy this week. French electronic duos. Before we continue the album clash, um, I will bring up our newly launched second feature. Yes, we have a second feature, which is Video Killed the Radio Star. So this week, it is my um, selection. The reason for the choice this week, um, we, last week we spoke about Spike Jones, who is a incredibly famous, creative and important director of all kinds of things, but particularly uh, music videos. He's done so many iconic ones, the Sabotage video, um, the Praise You, uh, the brilliant Bird of Prey. Um, no, it's not Bird of Prey, which is the one with Christopher Walken dancing. Uh, weapon of Choice. Weapon of Choice. You know, there's there's so many. Uh, so he did, he did the... And Da Funk, which we talked about last week. Yeah, da, da Funk. <laughs> he did. He did the Bjork. Um, it's oh so quiet. So he's done all kinds of iconic videos. So I wanted to pay tribute to Spike Jones, but I didn't want to go for one of the obvious ones. So what I did. Um, so the one for for you to watch is the video for the Suburbs by Arcade Fire. I mean, I absolutely adore this song. Anyway, it's a great song. And, you know, like the, the video itself is so evocative of the song of being in the suburbs. It's basically like a group of teenagers fucking around and things occur. Um, that's a, that's all all I, I will really say about it. And it, it just absolutely perfectly fits the song. So I'd never seen the video to the suburbs until you said you wanted to talk about it for this show. And yeah, it absolutely perfectly fits the song. So there's a lot to take in in that video. A apparently, it is basically act as a trailer for a, a Spike Jones short film called Tales from the Suburbs, which I haven't seen, uh, but basically features those kids who aren't, or at least weren't at the time, actors shot in Austin, Texas. And um, yeah, as Kev said, strange things happened. It's sort of set in this dystopian alternative reality where there's a police state and it follows this group of teenagers who are hanging around together, getting up to all sorts of hijinks and horseplay. And then things occur, as Kev said. It's really powerful. And as I say, I'd never seen it until today when we're recording this show. But it's really powerful. I really loved it. Yeah, it's like, so I wanted to find a bit of later Spike Jones work. So I hadn't seen it until until like I was I was looking for videos Spike Jones videos um, to talk about and I wanted something that was a bit later and I came across this and I was like, I was absolutely blown away by it and I thought well the whole point of the feature is to share videos that are different interesting something that we want to talk about and the, there is definitely something to talk about so it's on YouTube 
go and watch it. It's it's a it's an interesting video. It's not as iconic as some as some of the other ones that he's done. And funny that we talked in in the last clash about uh, the Coppolas, <laughs> because uh, I was because th- one of the videos that I watched was the one for Electro Bank, the Chemical Brothers song, mm-hmm. which is Sophia Coppola doing gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, but into like so, going back to Spike Jones, watch a video. It's it's really good and it it has some surprises in it. It does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that uh, is this week's video. Killed the radio star. So, Kevin, do you want to take us through Moon Safari, please? Yes. So, Moon Safari, as uh, Tim mentioned in our first record. It's released um, on Virgin Records, sixteenth uh, of January ninety eight, so about a year after our first album, um, and it was released by Air, which they are con- uh, constituted with Nicolas Godin and Jean Benoit Dunkel. That's my best my best nice. pronunciation. Excellent. Both from uh, Versailles. The band themselves were f- formed in ninety five. The pair initially played together in the band Orange. And, you know, on the, the breakup of that band, they came together, formed formed Air. I'm not, I, I have to admit, I'm not quite sure which one of the pair, but one of them had done work with uh, Funkadelic. It was Nicola Godin. Which, if you're going to have a grounding in making music, being put a bit, like having some kind of contact with Funkadelic is not a bad thing. Indeed, well, and indeed George Clinton was referenced in Teachers, which we went through last week. Exactly. So in in terms of the in terms of the album, a lot of it was recorded on on an eight track. Um, so Steph, Stephanie um, Briat, the who was a mate who worked as sound engineer, they recorded like the basic tracks on an eight track, and then sort of added the additional elements to it at Paris Gang Studios. I mean, what a great, what a great name for a, for a studio? Yeah, we're going to the Gang Studio. And uh, the string elements were added at, of course, Abbey Road. Because if you're going to have strings, they have to be recorded at Abbey Road. That, of that, course uh, they do. That I believe is music law now. I mean, and one of the one of the important elements of it, um, the at the at the time of the recording, the band was skint. Um, they had no money, so they could only afford secondhand gear. And what they ended up with was analog synths from the seventies, and. Because because that's all they could afford, it basically shaped uh, shaped the entire sound of this album and the band going forward. Certainly for the album that followed this, yeah. So, like for example, there's a quote from uh, Dunkel um, describing so one of the songs uh, Beth Hirsch, well, two of the songs that Beth Hirsch sings on, uh, described them as having a space age carpenter's sound. <laughs> wow, I mean. Like that's the end of this week's album clash because there's nothing more we can say. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, having seventies synths is going to is going to um, form that. And I think in in one of my notes that I I made and we'll discuss it later on, I referred to the sound of this album as kind of a retro futurism. And I think I think that's that's what it is. It looks back, but in a few like that kind of we're going to live on the moon. And all eat, uh, all eat our food via uh, pill form. <laughs> Tomorrow's world. <laughs> we're gonna stick. We're gonna stick some jam on on a CD now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, again, sorry. Um, 
anyone born uh, after 1990 has no idea what we're on about. <laughs> no, absolutely not. As if anyone under the age of 40 is listening to this now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, op- we opened with um, Harrison and Clapton. We're not exactly pulling in the um, <laughs> pulling in the youth crowd with our choices, are we? So Jean-Benoit Dunkel um, went, was quoted in The Guardian when there was a, a, a recent uh, retrospective. So he said, in terms of the album, it's the tail end of Britpop and people wanting something else. We came along with this alien psychedelic lounge core music you'd listen to on a Sunday morning after you'd been out clubbing the night before. And Godan, again, in this in this Guardian interview, says, before Daft Punk and us, French pop was synonymous with Sasha Distel, and I hated it. But elect- electronic music meant you could make cool music without being a rocker. And as 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 we've we talked about the whilst the sounds of air and and Daft Punk are, are different. They are part of this movement, the, this flowering in, in France and across Europe of something different that isn't, isn't this Britpop thing. And it's, it's kind of a, 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 change, a change from, from what, what had been before, really. Yeah, and, and they clearly have a, a reverie for the music scene in, in the UK. And, and as you said there, quite a disdain for at least what was going on in France at the time. So another quote from, from Godin, uh, he said, in England, you are the aristocracy of rock and pop. This is really something you're good at. In France, we're very good for other stuff like fashion, arts and stuff like that. But for music, Moon Safari was hard for us to even tour outside of Paris. Uh, I, I, apologies, I didn't note down what publication that quote comes from, but it speaks to the fact that they knew what they were making would land with a certain audience over the channel, but with their domestic audience would be much harder to sell. And I think that's, that shows how sort of bold they were to make this record. Yeah. And like, there's, there's no doubt. And I'm sure when, when we get to the point of talking about sales and that it did not, it didn't do well in France. It, it didn't, it didn't grab the French public um, as, as much as it certainly did did over here and in, in other countries as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm sure whatever Johnny Halliday released that year was um, was top of the pop charts in uh, in France. I'm going to slightly push back against you there because last week when, oh, sorry, in not last week in in a previous clash when we when we discussed it, we talked about breathy French pop. And we are both fans of a sexy, breathy French pop song. So, whilst I understand what um, what Godin is talking about, that there had this been this link with this kind of cheesy French French pop, there are interesting things in French pop music and just the general the French alternative scene that you can you can get into. And like a lot of the Killing Eve soundtrack has loads of loads of interesting French pop in there. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I, I think, well, I'm going to bring up Serge Gainsbourg at least twice when exactly, we're going through yeah. this album. And I really, really like Charlotte Gainsbourg, his daughter. I think her music's tremendous. I, I think a lot of what you hear nowadays has been influenced by air. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to look back to 97. And these are clearly, this is clearly how they were feeling at the time. Yeah, you know. Uh, and I mentioned Johnny Halliday, and I'm sorry, but you're not going to tell me that French Cliff Richard has done much in the way of breathy French pop music. 
I suppose I'm, I'm maybe thinking like and being a little bit influenced by San Etienne, who I know are orange, orange not British. French. <laughs> Sarah Cracknell, very much not. Allow, French. allow me to make my point. So, whilst I accept that they are British, but they are without question influenced by those kind of French pop songs that we are we are kind of talking about. Are you going to go on to talk about how Lay Rhythm Digital very much furthered the uh, the the French electronic scene after this? <laughs> no, what I'm going what what I'm going to do is I'm going to move on from this um, this cul-de-sac that we find ourselves in to talk about the cover art because that is the general structure that we tend to have in these. Um... We don't have a structure. Well, it's it's a rough structure. <laughs> we we do talk about the cover art some in, in some way, shape, or form. So the cover art was designed by Mike Mills. He is also responsible for the iconic uh, Sexy Boy video, which we will definitely talk about. And it's of two retro kind of colouring book figures um, representing the band. So it is Dunkel and Godin with a lovely font. As, as in previous clashes, I love a font. Um, and the air font is is fantastic, and I I love the fact that just down the side next to air they've written French band, French band. <laughs> just to, just to say to the British to the xenophobic British public, uh, <laughs> just a warning, this is a French band, so it's on the front cover. Like so, if I like, and we will get onto this as classy as the Daft Punk cover is. I really like this cover. It's it's so playful. Yeah, it, it's really pop art, the style. Uh, I really like it too. I think the way in which, as you said, the way in which the band is depicted sort of comic book animation style. So they they appear on the album cover without actually appearing on it. That doesn't make much sense, but I know what I mean. So just forget you lot. <laughs> as you said, it's really playful. It's really nice. Again, I think the the font, which again became the band's logo, is is really nice. We've we've had some cl- really great typeface chat over the past few clashes. Um, this is a theme we should continue. Yeah, I, I mean, for for the uh, typographers um, amongst the listeners, they're going to be they're going to be writing in to tell us what exact font they are, and <laughs> I'll be excited to know. <laughs> um, on the rear of the album, on the the, the, the rear sleeve. There's a, uh, and this appears in the Sexy Boy video as well, a sort of uh, hybrid camper van space shuttle vehicle. And uh, I can't stop thinking about Spaceballs and Lone Stars Winnebago when I see that picture. And that's a good thing. Well, one, anything that referenced Spaceballs, I'm perfectly fine with. But also, if Virgin Galactic told me that's what they were using, (laughs) I'd have signed up fucking ages ago. (laughs) Yep. So, so how did you, how do you first come across this album? So, a little bit. So, I was obviously familiar with Air when they, when the album first came out in '98. So, Sexy Boy was was a pretty massive single as was Kelly Watch the Stars and All I Need following that. But uh, as much as I, I was aware of them and, and liked all those songs, I never actually went out of my way to listen to the album at the time. It was only 2000, 2001 time when my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, we were first together and she really likes air still does to this day. And she was the first person to play this album to me all the way through. And perhaps it was the intoxicating feel of being in a new relationship that 
and, and genuinely the first time I heard this was on a lazy Sunday morning, but it was just that perfect sunny spring Sunday morning, lazy day, coffee and croissants, lovely. Yeah. It really struck a chord with me and I've really liked air ever since then. How about you? So <laughs> I will read my note. Again, I will go verbatim. Reminds me of being in a number of early 2000s bars, uh, slightly wanky ones um, that are playing this in the background. So this album was like, I can't, I can't really get it across to, to the listener who, who may not have been around at the, at the time enough that basically every bar you go into, particularly if you're going in into a late afternoon, this album was on. And particularly, particularly All I Need and La Femme d'Argent. Like, I can really remember being in bars drinking pints of Hoe Garden with this in the background and just talking absolute wham. Right, hold that thought, because I've got a lot of that sort of stuff to talk about when we go through the legacy of the album. So please hold on to that thought. So I never... I never really felt the need to buy the album because I can't like for quite a long period of time, I felt like I heard it everywhere or, and I think this is probably what you're going to get into in terms of legacy. If it wasn't this album, then it was things that were aping it and were shit facsimiles of it. So I never, and I actually will hold my hand up and say that I never got round to ever buying the album because I'd always felt as though I knew it. And I was quite glad of the opportunity to re to revisit the album because there's some songs on there that that I'd kind of lost because like usually because I was about three or four pints of pints of Oak Garden in but four like, in the afternoon <laughs> in four in the afternoon that like I kind of yeah I didn't I didn't really pick up on uh, the subtleties of some of those songs. Yeah. Okay. So um, again, I know exactly where you're coming from, and we'll get more into that later on so I, I suppose that i've um just talked nonsense for a little bit of time so i might as well actually get into the depth of the album so we open with la femme d'argent la femme d'argent which is the silver lady it is the silver lady yes and it's a lovely gentle opener to the album my notes uh, i said that it sounds timeless and it certainly doesn't feel of the era that it came out of. If you think this is recorded in January 98, it doesn't sound like it's recorded then at all. No, no, it doesn't. It's a beautifully layered piece of instrumental music. And I mean, we'll probably reference this fella throughout this. It's so Eno. It's massively influenced by Brian Eno. And Oh, yeah. I've written it's a, it's a lovely soulful start. It's a bass line that it's got you nodding your head along to it. The keyboard solo sort of wanders its way around the track. Nice dreamy strings sitting underneath everything. Lovely, lovely stuff. I'll go up the choral melodies that they just drift in and out, uh, you know, during the breakdown, the rhythm section coming back in. And then to end it, it's got what sounds to me like a sort of theremin type synth sound. It's quite haunting. It's it's lovely. I, I know, as you said earlier, it's this was in the back of background of any pub you went into, any bar you went into in 2000, 2001 on a Sunday afternoon. But oh, it just 
give me that nice corner sofa to sit at with me yeah. pint and I'm having a lovely old time. I really, really like it. It's a gorgeous start to the album. Yeah, it's and as as I say, it, the mad thing about it is that it sounds like nothing else at this time. Mm-hmm. No what no one sounds like this. Uh yeah, me likey. Okay, and then we go into a absolute banger, like a huge tonal shift. Sexy boy, and it's a sexy, sexy old song. This it is. It's so. This is probably I would say it's Air's most famous song. Still, it's certainly their biggest hit. It was number thirteen in the UK. It was the first single from the album to accompany the album's release. Uh, the baseline to open the song is, it, as you said, after coming off to something so gentle as. La Femme d'Argent, and I'm not going to say that Sexy Boy is, you know, a complete up-tempo banger, but it's really very different sounding. The breathy French vocals in the verses sung by the band themselves. I mean, it's it's such a beautiful juxtaposition between that sort of the filthy, because um, it's a it, it's a Rickenbacker, isn't it, played through a fuzz box? Yep. And the juxtaposition between the chorus and the that that kind of sound with the breathy French lightness of the verse. It's, oh, it, it, and it's the massive sound. And that's like, obviously I talked about it being retro futuristic um, earlier on. This is, this is so retro futuristic. So uh, uh, we said this last week, a couple of times, like this is ridiculous. Now people are going to think we just sat next to each other, writing the same notes. I have written, Simple but classic. It sounds simultaneously nostalgic yet ahead of its time. Yeah, because it because it is. It is. Yeah, I've also written. You said we're going to bring back Eno a few times. I have written here Bowie esque space age organ solo uh, <laughs> because it is. It's brilliant. Come on, it's brilliant. It it is an absolute st- again. It's a stone cold classic. And however. You, like obviously, this is this is the classic version. This is the version that everyone knows. I am aware of a cover. Go on. Um, <laughs> so, Nina. Oh. Of ninety nine Luftballons. Oh. Um, apparently covered it in two thousand and seven. I've never heard it, and I, like, I can't deny there is a part of me that is desperate to hear that. So I know of another cover, and this is the one I thought you were going to mention. No, I went with the ridiculous one. It was also covered by Franz Ferdinand in 2005. Have you heard that cover version? No, I haven't, and I would be intrigued. It's not very good. Is it not? By all means, go and have a listen to it, but it didn't do it for me. Mm. i got to say, it's just, it's not, well, it is sexy boy, but mm, nah, not for me. It was... It sounds like Franz Ferdinand doing Sexy Boy, and that tells you everything you need to know. Maybe it's just me. Because I, I I quite like Alex Capranos, and I could imagine him giving it the full Sexy Boy, but... He, it's got none of the dreaminess of this. And I suppose I suppose that's the core, the core of this. It's that juxtaposition. It's the... I, I, I think we need to make a pact with one another. I mean, we're not going to be able to follow through on this, but... We've both said the words dreamy and breathy at least half a dozen times each so far. So we'll try We'll try to use different adjectives. We apologize. Well, I at least apologize in advance to the listeners 
because those are the two I'll quit coming back to. <laughs> I am not apologising because we're talking about French pop music. Like, if you can think of a different adjective to, to refer to French pop music, please go ahead. But dreamy and breathy are largely the core basis. So as as with um when we talked when we talked in our previous album clash that that album had a incredibly famous and influential video um sexy boy has a absolute like one of like certainly the most iconic and famous videos of the, of the 90s really with well essentially a monkey going to space space monkey <laughs> And coming back and having his own ticker tape parade as well. Exactly, yeah. And again, it's one that very much, and you can see it's also by Mike Mills who did the album art. It takes that pop art style artwork from the album, puts it in the video. It's really good. Really good. I lo- it's, yeah, as you said, it's a classic video of the 90s. Yeah, and I mean, I know this, this is going to be something that the more um, aesthete music fans who may be listening might roll their eyes at. But in terms of establishing your brand, having the imagery within the Sexy Boy video, it's reflected in the Kelly Watch the Stars video. It's reflected in the album cover art. It all works together as a package because obviously Mike Mills is involved in, in all those. And like I think there's a, there's a description that I read somewhere that he was considered the third member of Air because he was that important to their image and how they how they portrayed themselves wider, really. Yeah, and in fact, I think on yeah on the album Talky Walkie, they named a song after White Mills. Okay, let's move on to the next track. So then we go into All I Need, which is a huge like we've in my mind like if you if you were looking at a uh, you were trying to go for a continuous the- thematic thing with the album, then it probably should sit next to La Femme d'Argent. So it, you get a La huge Femme jump. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing that. You get a huge uh, jump from the last song. It was written with Beth, Beth Hirsch, um, an American singer that um, one of the bands sort of bumped into. It was the third single from the album, and you can just absolutely lose yourself in it. The acoustic guitar in it is so subtle within the mix, but it's a, it's beautiful. The vocoder work is is absolutely fantastic. It's it's a it's a just a beautiful song. I I, I can't really I can't really um, say any more. Yeah, I agree. So again, I spent time on on whosampled.com when I was researching this album. So Air sampled their own song. Well. That's a slight inaccuracy there. So, Air's first EP was called Premier Symptom, and one of the tracks from that's called Les Professionnels. This is basically a reworking of that song with lyrics and melody by Beth Hirsch. Uh, as Kev said, you know, Godin, Dunkel, and Beth Hirsch live relatively near each other in Montmartre in the mid 90s. It all sounds, it's, it's, it's very cosmopolitan, isn't it? Oh, yes, we live near each other in Montmartre and we went to see Sacre-Cœur on a daily basis and sipped espresso cafe in a pavement cafe. We, uh, you know, we smoke galois, we discussed Sacre, you know, it's all going on. Anyway, um, it's lovely. It's really, really lovely. I, I love when the song breaks down, you've got that modulated filters synth part that comes in and out through the end of the track 
as you said, the acoustic guitar, which to me reminds me of sort of James Taylor. This so- It's a song with so many different dimensions. The lyrics are gorgeous. Beth Hersey's voice is just delectable. I, I mean, she really love. She sounds. She sounds like a diff. She sounds like another Beth in this song. In this song particularly, she sounds like Beth Orton. Yeah, definitely. I, I got to be honest. I when I first heard this, I thought it was Beth Orton. Uh, lovely, lovely. <laughs> the the only other point I want to add about this, <laughs> um, it was sampled apparently by UB40 on their song legalize it <laughs> oh okay i i really have nothing more to add to that because i am no. absolutely staggered <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack in that sentence so i'll give I, you the time to process it i I, th- I think i choose we don't unpack the sentence i choose that we Use we we don't use the WinRAR software to unpack it or unpack the entire <laughs> folder. We can, I mean, this is so nerdy, it's untrue. And um, we keep we Got keep very mid two thousands there. Yeah, we keep it in the one folder. Like <laughs> I don't want I don't want to I don't want to unpack it. <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> so um, we move on to Kelly. Watch the stars. The second single from the album, probably their second most well known song. A famous video, yeah, and it's it's a really good it's a really good song. It's it again has that retro futurism which is uh, throughout the album, and I noted a lovely bit of theremin. Gotta love a bit of theremin. Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, definitely. Um, I love the bassline again, M- much like much like Sexy Boy. The bassline makes this song. The vocals, the the vocoded vocals put me in mind of, of, of craft work and songs like the model mm-hmm. I, I gotta say when this first came out in 98 i didn't like it but i love it now it's got a lot more depth than i ever appreciated back at the time the piano part which is really subtle but it's there it's lovely the chord structure's simple but it's catchy there's got synths coming in and out of it it's really nice i like it a lot it it is a good piece of music. Really. It is a good piece of music, and the video, table tennis and space. Yeah, I mean, like again, a incredibly like well known and iconic video of of the era, and it's boss. It it's pong. It's pong. It's space. It's, well, it's got them playing pong. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So it's it is it's. I apologize to the listeners if I keep referring to retro futurism, but I found a phrase. I'm going to absolutely bang through it. And it is that. It is just that. Yeah, it is. It's great. It's it's really great. The, the only other thing I want to say about the video is, um, and I know you'll remember rock profiles. <laughs> so this was, this was David Williams and Matt Lucas before they became big with Little Britain. They did a show on on uh, on UK Play with Jamie Theakston called Rock Profiles, where they were basically spoofing various bands, and they'd basically pretend to be the band and be interviewed by Theakston. But interlaced with the interview would be videos, and they basically a piss take of shows like Pop Up Video, which would show random facts. But in Rock Profiles, the facts were completely 
made up and stupid. <laughs> and there was this is ridiculous. There was one <laughs> when they were showing the video to Kelly Watch the Stars in the one the air episode said the game being played here is called table tennis, which is a <laughs> miniature version of the game table. <laughs> Finally, in our eighth episode, we have descended to the sort of humour that Kevin and I really find funny. Yeah, th this is actually our level. <laughs> right. Okay. So let's bring ourselves back. So, to Talisman. <laughs> well, no, no. I, before we go on to Talisman, I, the only thing I've written here. So, this is the end of side one for those who have it on vinyl. Four songs. Every one of them's given me something different. And side one's gone by in a flash. Yeah. I mean, you can't, like, in terms of a collection of four songs, you can't rate that a strong, strong first side, really. It is. Okay, so then we move on to Talisman. And, I mean, it's a really cinematic piece of music. The or orchestration is beautifully lush. And you can just lose yourself in it. I mean, I think it's a absolutely gorgeous piece of music. I agree. I could be listening to something from Serge Gainsbourg, or I could be listening to something by Portishead. And that is very much a compliment. I think the way this blends classic, and I'm going to use the phrase again, sorry guys, classic, breathy French pop music from the 70s with what to me at least is redolent of trip hop it's well for starters i think it shows an incredible musical prowess to 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 meld those two styles into something as beautiful as this and i think the song itself it it starts off so simply the organ then the bass comes in then the strings come in and it's, so it's something that starts off quite wistful it ends up being something Something epic, almost it's quite dark, actually, by the time you get to the end. It's a brilliant start to side two. I love this. I love this track. I mean, there's there's a note that I've I've made about a later song. And what I'm genuinely surprised when when doing the research is this album hasn't really been used a huge amount in films and TV, in that kind of thing. And I think, personally for me, I think it there's so many different elements that lend itself to that kind of, you know, background music. Because obviously there's a lot of instrumentals or certainly songs that could, could be used for scene setting. And I, I'm genuinely shocked that it hasn't been used more, really. And, and and something like Talisman definitely lends itself to that. I mean, like, we both, we both like, have referred to it and i've said it's it's really cinematic i agree and, and again hold on that to that thought because there's things i'll bring out later about about how certain tracks could be used you know to support tv and film and stuff yeah. and when you when you compare so 12 months or so after moon safari's release moby's coming out with play and Moby licenses every single track on play which is used in everything ever yeah it's basically used for everything like uh, yeah, yeah. Every every song was on an advert, wasn't it? It was, it was. And another band. So, Doves licensed a lot of their stuff to be used. You know, you you watch Top Gear from the mid two thousands, and on most episodes, you're going to hear a Doves track, or Match of the Day, or or Match of the Day. <laughs> and 
you just wonder why, well, maybe error a bit too early for that. And, and I'm not, listen, we're not going to talk about whether people want to be sellouts or not, but the point is that there's a lot of tracks on this album, which are, as Kevin said, very cinematic. Well, and we'll talk in a little bit about how Air would realise that themselves on a later album. The only other thing I want to bring in, and I'm sorry, it's going to be another quote on, on Talisman. So you said right at the start of going through this that they could only afford second-hand instruments and that influenced a lot of the album's sound. So Talisman itself, there's two electronic pianos, which are the real uh, forefront of the track. One of those is, is, is a Fender Rhodes, which is a classic, a classic instrument, and the other one is a, is a Wurlitzer. So go down said, the Rhodes is my favorite instrument. I spent my entire childhood wondering what that sound was that I heard everywhere on TV and on the radio. Then one nice day in Pigal, I saw an old, completely beat up one in a store. And when I put my finger on it, I finally understood where that sound came from that had haunted me for years. So I bought it on the spot. So whilst, as you said, Part of it was not by design in that it's all they could afford. There was clearly an atmosphere that they wanted to bring to the album by making use of these instruments that they'd heard throughout their musical development. And on this track in particular, it's really prominent. Well, I suppose if you're... If you're buying 70s synths and Wurlitzers and that kind of thing, you kind of already have a fair, a fairly defined idea of what you want your sound to be because you're kind yeah. of you're, you're buying the equipment for that kind of thing. Obviously, it's what you can afford, but you have a vision clearly, definitely. And I think again, I'm 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 going too far ahead, I suppose, because I'm getting into the comparison of the two albums. But you compare what we were saying about homework and how it was quite visionary. Although it was very much an homage to the the house scene that they'd come from, it was quite visionary in the way it took that and evolved it into what became the mainstream for a decade. This is really, really different to that, but in a similar vein, it takes the sounds that they grew up with. It blends that with what was going on in, as I said earlier, the trip hop scene in the nineties particular, and it creates something new, something that was entirely different to anything else that was charting at the time. And, and that's one of the reasons I put these albums together, that yes, there's a simple connection of French electronic music, but actually both visionary, but for very different reasons. So I, th- I think there's a, the, the way that you've sort of, and um, what you've just been saying, does lead us naturally onto the next song. So remember... Um, was recorded with Jean-Jacques Perry, who was a pioneer of French electronic music. And obviously this links to the track Teachers in the in the Daft Punk album, that Air themselves are bringing in a someone who was very important to them and how they, how they developed their sound and uh, the development of electronic music in France. And obviously collaborated with him on the on this track. It's, it's quite a short song, but I really like it. It's really good. It's brilliant. So it's not the first, sorry, it's not the only song that I did with Jean-Jacques Perry. They did another track in 97 called Cosmic Bird, 
which is a lovely disco tune. And it is another one. So we, when we went through last week, uh, talked about Around the World, we talked about its homage to Popcorn. Uh, Cosmic Bird is another one that sounds very much like Popcorn. And given that Jean-Jacques Perry worked with Gershon Kingsley, it's probably not that surprising. This is a really good tune. It, to me, sounds like a companion piece to another song that was released in 98, actually, Ice Hockey Hair by Super Furry Animals, which is a brilliant song. Maybe that's a simplistic take from me because they've both got heavily vocoded uh, vocal tracks on there. But yeah, the, 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 there's a similarity between the two songs. It's nostalgic. It's wistful. It's lovely. I've I've liked every single track we've listened to so far. It's, I'm having a lovely time listening to this album. Yeah, it's it's a thus far. There is nothing to complain about. Okay, and so we move into the next song. Uh, you make it easy. Uh, Beth Hirsch again is on vocals. She provided the lyrics for for this song. What I would say about it is it's probably the most traditional song um, on the album. For me, it doesn't really do it. I find it quite asinine. I think that's a little bit harsh, but I see where you're coming from. So. From the finger-picked guitar part, I get some very strong girl from Ipanema vibes, and that's not a great thing for me, sorry. It's clearly, and maybe this is a lazy comparison because of the Beth Hirsch collaboration, but it's clearly a, a companion part to All I Need, but it's nowhere near as strong. It's fine. I really like the strings that come in towards the end of the track. That's what I will say. But if that's the thing I'm saying I really like about the track, it probably says something. Yeah, it, it's the weakest song we've had so far. Very much so. So on that basis, we will move on. Uh, so we move on to Le Matin La. Ce Matin La. Ce Matin La, sorry. That Morning. Yes. Uh, so it was recorded with Patrick Woodcock. So he befriended Nicholas Godin whilst they studied architecture in Versailles. It sounds really 70s, but I, that's not a bad thing. That's not a criticism, uh, particularly the brass. It has such a cinematic sound to it. Um, and this this is where the the note that I, took, that I referred to earlier, why has this not been used in a film? I honestly cannot comprehend that at all. So I've said, and I mean this in a complimentary way, so I really like this track and I agree with what you said. It's just, it's a nice, it's nice, it's comforting. It's like snuggling up in a duvet and you hear this as a bed track on a Saturday morning cooking show. It's, it's lovely. It's absolutely Burt Bacharach. And that's not, <laughs> yeah. but that's not a criticism of it. It's because Burt Bacharach was a great, was a great songwriter. And like that kind of comforting brass sound is very Burt Bacharach. I'm glad you mentioned Burt Bacharach. And I agree with what you've just said. The brass part, when I hear the brass part, I cannot stop humming the theme tune to the 80s sitcom Just Good Friends, starring Paul Nicholas and Jan Francis. <laughs> with the theme tune sung by the star of the show, Paul Nicholas. Like, and given this must have been a thing with, with in the 80s of like, let's get the star of the show to sing the theme tune because you've got... Write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. <laughs> Another reference to Little Britain. But yeah, you've got Dennis Waterman doing a minder. You've got Paul Nicholas doing Just Good Friends. 
but the brass part is it's the same as it's just good friends look i really like this song it's a personal thing for me that i can't get over that link i, I want to know why they didn't get ronnie corbett to record the theme to sorry <laughs> i don't even know if that has lyrics but i really want it to now so just coming back to the song itself on a serious note you mentioned how cinematic it sounds and i completely agree so there's a lovely there's a lovely harmonica part that comes in towards the end of the song lovely french harmonica part it's it's like i'm watching jean de florette lovely stuff <laughs> it just for anyone that, that doesn't know what jean de florette is uh, if you remember stellar artois adverts from the mid to late 90s that music is the music from jean de florette so from mid-90s Stellar Artois adverts, we move on to New Star in the Sky, a song for Solal. Now, in doing my research, this has been wrongly attributed as a tribute to a, a French French musician, uh, Solal, which is absolutely wrong because it's, it's actually a song for... Uh, Jean Ducal's uh, son, Salal. I, I have daughter written down, but child, nonetheless. Yes, um, pr- product of his his, his progeny. Be, and it's, I'm glad you stopped yourself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> product of his conflict, conflagration. Offspring. Yes. That's fine. Move on. <laughs> Which is reflected in the lyrics. Um, My baby blue is a new star in the sky. It's a beautiful, spacey, dreamy, um, dreamy song. I do have a um, unique. So we've been we've been fairly, fairly clear with with these uh, listeners that we we do not have access to the Bodleian Library. We we are doing our research by Google. Whilst I was look, trying to look up information on this song, I was directed to tranquillitycremations.com. <laughs> Go on, because I wasn't. <laughs> You've got to expand on that. And apparently, like, um, New Star in the Sky is really, really popular at, at funerals, particularly cremations. Which, okay. Which I found absolutely wild. But, yeah, okay, Um New I mean, that's dark. Sky. Yeah, it's so that's a lot. Du- I mean, I'm, I'm a bit. I thought you were going to take me to somewhere more outlandish. That's, that's put a damper on things. I might just call it into the show now. To be honest with you, <laughs> I, I mean, I was I was genuinely genuinely surprised by that. But yeah, apparently it's popular at funerals. Well, there you go. Um, so my understanding is that Solal, the eponymous subject of the song and that is the correct use of the word eponymous we've had this disagreement before (laughs) it's not a disagreement you're wrong and i'm fucking right (laughs) Um, so godown's child uh whether it's a son or a daughter there appears to be some (laughs) dispute but anyway (laughs) thank you is apparently named after the french jazz musician of that name, which is perhaps where that confusion arises. Right. Okay. That that makes sense. So now there's a there's a quote. For, sorry, not go down. It's Dunkel. There's a quote from Dunkel, which to me it makes no sense, and I wouldn't read it other than the fact that it makes no sense. But I'm going to read it. I'm bang into it then. Okay. Chanson pour Solal came about because I'd studied astrophysics and was into stars, planets, and Einstein's theory of relativity. 
all fine so far. I was singing about space all the time and reading Ray Bradbury's The Martian Chronicles. Okay. The characters in the book go on a safari into the past to see the dinosaurs. I just love the word safari. Okay. But none of that's in the song. If you love the word safari so much, at least put that in the song. No, the word safari is no. What? What? That just what? Well, I su- is it I su- just me? I suppose he he stuck it in the album title. Oh, yeah. Okay. He did. Fair enough. That's fair. I mean, it's um, a nice word. I mean, it's, <laughs> is it? It's fine. Yeah. I, I suppose. Mean, yeah. It's, it's. I mean, it's, it, I've I've heard worse words. I mean, gusset is gusset or flange is worse. So you know. <laughs> Moist. Moist is not a nice word. Kevin, stop. This filth. I'm going to have to put an explicit marking on this podcast now. I mean, dank isn't isn't a nice word. (laughs) Can I talk about the song, please? It's lovely. It's it's gorgeous. it, It feels like I'm drifting through space. And like I'm staring out of the window of my probe. Stop laughing. Grow up. <laughs> and I'm watching comets burn their way across the galaxy. It's lovely. It's what I will say, the acoustic guitar and the organ at the start of the song really puts me in mind of Space Oddity. Bowie is in space. I, 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 can't, I can see where you've come to with that. It's it's a lovely song. I uh, I like this one. Yeah, I, I mean I can't, I cannot disagree. And so we then finish the album. It's it's a short album. It's only um, forty three minutes long. Take note, Noel Gallagher, uh, with Le Voyage de Penelope or Penelope's Voyage. Uh, that's fine. Voyage. Come on, come on. You studied French to GCSE. You know how to pronounce voyage. <laughs> It's actually Penelope's journey as well. Let's, come on. <sighs> Sorry, guys. It's basic GCSE French here that my co-host cannot grasp. He speaks fine Spanish, but you know, ask him to speak French, and it's no. I can I can speak French fine, but I'm seven beers in. Like watching a lower low in 1986. <laughs> well, the no, Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> right, we will actually talk about the song um so i again um i will read my notes verbatim retro slightly filthy i absolutely adore it it's a really good way to end the album so yeah i'll i'm gonna read my notes verbatim Uh, the listeners might think we've just lost interest (laughs) (laughs) maybe we are um so I've written the album comes full circle as we go out in a soulful, dreamy instrumental track just as we came in. Serge Gainsbourg is calling again. Very sexy. And I love the sax-like synth part within the track. It's a really solid end. It's very sexy. It's really sexy. I mean, it's it's a good, like you've started the album in a gorgeous manner and you've ended it really in the in the same kind of same kind of way yeah uh, i mean i've got nothing more more to add in terms of how the album was received um the reviews were largely positive however i will highlight jeff salaman in spin 
because I have issue with his review. So he said that it travels deep into the cheesy heart of whiteness, cannibalizing Muzak, Italian soundtracks, and lounge. Right. Okay. So I I can actually see where he's coming from. Okay. I can see where he's coming from. I disagree with the way he has interpreted that as a bad thing, but it does all of those things. Okay. Now, Muzak has become... It's become short. It's become shorthand for instrumental, essentially filler music. Yeah. And the sorts of stuff that will be put on in the background in an episode of The Good Life. <laughs> Margot Ultra's rule. No, I'm very much a Felicity Kendall Ultra's. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> Just like everyone else. So I can see where he's coming from, but I don't like the way that's uh, that's portrayed as a bad thing. No, because, because I think it's a good thing. Well, I, th- I think see, you can you can refer to something as Muzak because Muzak is associated with something negative. It's crap lift music, but Muzak came from well as as we started the album talking about Eno. That's where yeah. that's where that movement, that that type of music, kind of, or at least he was he was a, a key element of it. Italian soundtracks. Well, yeah, you can you can criticize Italian soundtracks, or you can talk about Ennio Morricone and lounge music. Yes, there are you can criticize that, but there are there are things about lounge music that are positive. Like I think I think it's an incredibly harsh and unfair way to review review the album that essentially by saying it travels deep into the cheesy heart of whiteness that it has no soul to it and i don't i don't agree i don't agree at all with that that, that i mean no. fuck's sake he's he's dedicated a song to his child so you're saying mm-hmm. you're saying that has no soul to it well fuck off frankly well and and a song such as you make it easy which okay neither of us particularly called out certainly is one of our favorite songs on the album you listen to the lyrics of that song it's about it's about that experience of a new relationship of of being in the perfect relationship of of just wanting to be with the person you're with and feeling so much at ease with that person that is soulful that is speaking to so many people in in those sorts of relationships. So yeah, sorry, but piss off. Yeah, I'm not having it. No, um, I'll come on to some more reviews in a moment. But um, I, I guess unless there's something else you want to call out, I'll go through the, some of the the facts. No, no, you uh, as as ever, you do the factual sales malarkey. Okay, so this album performed very well. Uh, is uh, and that's the end of this week's show. <laughs> no, uh, all right. So it reached number six on the UK album chart, number twenty-one in France. You said earlier it didn't perform extremely well in France, and I think that says to it. It reached number forty-one on the US Billboard Heat Seekers chart, and the Heat Seekers chart is is a chart which is specifically for new and developing artists. It's been certified gold in Australia, France, Germany, and Switzerland platinum in Belgium and the Netherlands. And given what we were saying on last week's show about um, Belgium and the Netherlands being very much into their 
uh, Eurodance at this time. I think that speaks to the album's success, to be honest with you. Uh, and it's been certified two times platinum in the UK and in Denmark. Worldwide sales to date have gone over two million. I mean, it it doesn't tell you how many wanky bars um, had a copy though. And and as as I said earlier, um, all of them. I've said earlier, hold that thought. <laughs> uh, no, because so I have I have a lot to say about this. Because you're right, and I don't think it's the fault of the album. No, it's not. It's, Spoiler it, alert. Yeah, it's it's not the album's fault. It's it's good mood music. Yeah. It's, it's it's good neutral music as well. It, it is. So in 1998, so we referred to the face on last week's episode, and we're going to do again now. The second, so both the face and select in 1998 voted this as album of the year. And when I first read that, I thought, really? And then I actually looked back and said, what else was released in 98? And I thought, well, actually, there's not a great deal to. Co- so. Perhaps you've come a long way, baby, by Fatboy Slim. Well, no, not perhaps. That definitely competes with this, but uh, 1998 was not a great year. I mean, what I really want to know is what uh, Nobby McGee reviewed, like who we've referenced in our last two clashes. Um, what's he got to say about it? So you're talking about Robert Criscow? I am talking. So he he will now be referred to, at least by me, as Nobby McGee. So actually, so his review is actually quite positive. Oh. But I'm going to read it, and I'm going to read all of it, because there's one word that stands out, and I want you to see if you can pick up on this word. So Robert Criscow, on his website, criscow.com, robertcriscow.com, I apologize. He wrote, as a rock yeoman in good standing, I mean, that's debatable, Robert, but okay. <laughs> Yeah, I direct post-rock chauvinists to Simon Jeffes, Brian Eno-sponsored Penguin Cafe Orchestra, whose similar, albeit unamplified, hipster kitsch can now be found in the New Age bin. I probably want to punch this fella in the face. I am aware of the Penguin Cafe Orchestra, although, like, he can't help but be wanky in the way that, like, honestly, if he hasn't got a goatee, he he has one like glued on. <laughs> Fine. Okay. <laughs> now, continuing. For the nonce, however, the comfy funk Excuse bass, me. <laughs> you picked up on the word. <laughs> that is a quote. I have not misread that. I have not misquoted it. I checked it. I double checked it. I triple checked it. The nonce. For the yes. For the nonce, however, the comfy funk bass, space age sound effects, and moments of cool femme ter- treacle of this most p- moist, excuse me, piece of patisserie are good humored enough to win over even an old ager who remembers when easy listening was worth hating. Who's he calling a nonce? I don't know. I, from the sound of things, himself. Now, I just to be clear, I do not, I have no idea what Robert Criscow's sexual preferences are, and I'm sure whatever they are, they are entirely legal and above board. Whatever he believes the word nonce meant in 1998, it is not the same interpretation that we have. 
I mean, I think we really have to move on from the fact that, like, he's used the word nonce. Nobby McGee's, um, like, hit rate continues. Like, even if it was, like, I, could, I don't even know if that was a positive review because he just used the word nonce and that's all I heard. <laughs> have we unintentionally stumbled across our third additional feature of every show, which is Nobby McGee's album reviews. Yes. Every every time we review an album now, we will we will see if Nobby McGee has had something to say about it. Or as he should be now referred to, Nancy McGee. <laughs> Again, we are making no judgment whatsoever on what his sexual preferences may or may not be. I'd, can I read a couple more less controversial <laughs> I mean, reviews? I mean, you, you, you can do, but I'm not really going to listen. You know what? Like, you know, yeah, I, I'm fine. Okay, let's leave it there. That's the final definitive word on this. Um, so I've skirted around this a couple of times. And again, we talked about influence with, with homework and we need to talk about it now because there's no doubt, and we've already said this album was influential and, and we've made lighthearted references to, and it was ubiquitous at the time. It was played in so many wine bars and, and, uh, and, and well, student unions. Or as I choose to refer to, uh, refer to them, not necessarily wine bars, but wanky bars as well. Um, so there's no doubting the influence of Moon Safari, whether you like them or not, Acts like Morchiba, Zero Seven, Lemon Jelly. And to be fair, I really like Lemon Jelly's first album. I think, well, I like Lemon Jelly's albums. I think they're really good, but... Zero Seven's not like that That album. It's not it, it's, it's not a bad album. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a great... I, ne- I was never a big fan of Zero Seven. But anyway, that's beside the point. Whether you like those acts or not, there is no doubt their success was founded on the success of Moon Safari, and they were clearly influenced by what Air had done. And moreover, and this is where it, I, I am going to be quite negative, tracks like All I Need inspired countless, tedious Ministry of Sound chill-out sessions, albums, and the like, which I'm sorry oh God, can yeah. get right in the fucking bin. <laughs> Oh, and, and okay, when we went through homework, we spoke in some quite glowing terms about how some of the songs and tracks on there were evocative of the club scene. And as we both said, when we were going through Fresh, being on a Mediterranean beach with the sun coming up. And the more relaxed side of that is what you heard on Moon Safari. And that's not what I'm rallying against here. What I'm rallying against is it being packaged and commercialised and compartmentalised by a, a, a monolith such as Ministry of Sound into, I think they released over a dozen chill-out sessions and fuck off. I, I suppose that's the problem with being the innovators is that you will have people who copy your template going for, going forward or be, or, you know, not necessarily copy it, but be influenced by it. And unfortunately, if you are successful, Record companies are thick, and they will they will go. That's popular now. We'll we'll have twelve of them, and we'll release a chill out compilation ad nauseum until until they kill the golden goose. Yep, and 
one can argue call the golden goose they did air never repeated this success so no they went on and this is the final completion of the connections that we talked about right at the start of last week's show so their follow-up album to this was the soundtrack to the film the virgin suicides directed by uh sophia coppola sister of roman and they would work with sophia coppola again on another film which i forget the name of now for me, the Virgin Suicides album, I love it. I think Playground Lover in particular is not perhaps as famous and recognisable as, as Sexy Boy and Kelly Watch the Stars, certainly nearly at that level. It's a great song. But beyond that, they'd never replicated the success of this album. And I just wonder if that's partially because of the way that the market had been saturated with what you said earlier on, just... Countless things which aped what they'd done. And, and not even new acts and bands, but, oh, let's release a remix of this track with all the drums taken out and it's nice and pared down for a chill slowed session. down. I mean, it, it, it's similar to the, the current Vogue, which was started by, I suppose, John Lewis, the John Lewis advert, which is get, get a dance song or a or an upbeat pop song, and you slow it down, you stick a acoustic guitar and a breathy female vocal over the top, and that's, that's what you stick on your advert. And you've, like, basically any advert now will have a 90s pop song that has been slowed down and turned, turned into that, and that's basically a thing now. Just to make a... So to bring the full, full circle round... Do you know who uh, who was uh, married to uh, Sophia Coppola? No, I do not. Spike Jones, right? So, Tim, um, not a particularly long album. What's your best song? What's your worst song? So, best song. It was hard for me to pick. Actually, I think I said as we we're going through it, I, I'd not listened to a song I didn't enjoy. Probably Talisman. As I said when we went through it. I love how it, to me at least, blends that retro 70s French pop sound with what is a, to me, a trip-hop style rhythm. I think it's a gorgeous song. I love it. I love it. Yeah, Talisman, best song. Worst song, and this, I feel bad saying this is the worst song. It's my least favourite song, okay? You make it easy. I have nothing against it per se, but as I said at the time, it's certainly not as strong as All I Need. Uh, it just feels a bit like album filler, so I'm going to have to put that as my least favourite. Okay, um, so for me, um, I cannot disagree on the uh, worst song. You make it easy. As as we said when we were talking through it, it's, it doesn't really do it for me. It's the most traditional song on the album. It's not a bad song, it's just... In comparison with everything else, it's the weakest. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the basic bitch on the um, on the pod this week. The best song on the album is "Sexy Boy," and that's why it was the lead single because it's fucking great. All the elements of it, like listening to like when obviously you announced the clash, and I listened to the album again, um, and hadn't listened to it for a while. I was just reminded of how immense that song is and the, there are so many great other songs on this album but it is the standout 
and I can understand because if I was picking a lead song off this album, that's the one I pick because it's the best one. It's the most hooky. All right, fair enough. You know, you like the best of the Beatles. That's fine. <laughs> so I'm guessing I'm I'm guessing we're gonna have to score these now. Yeah, I guess we are. I guess we are. Let's do homework first. Where are you going on homework? So homework is a it it's a very good album. It has some really good hooky pop songs. It has some really hard house. It has so many different elements to it. It's a long album though, is what I is what I will say. And it's not it's not their best. It's not their it's not the apogee of Daft Punk's sound. It's a debut. So I think I'm gonna come down. Seven out of ten. Oof. Okay. I'm a harsh marker. So I, I would suggest that our clashes so far would disagree with that. You you, you gave <laughs> anti-masker Eric Clapton seven out of ten for Layla and other love songs. But you know, let's let's move past that. <laughs> I'm 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 not one for scoring cheat points. No, not at all. <laughs> right. I love homework. I said at the start, and it was a boast. I was there on the ground floor. I love it. I agree with what you said, that it is not a brilliantly crafted album in terms of the album length itself, in terms of the track choice. I said that as we were going through it. But for me, there are very few low points. The high points are varied, but they are all triumphant. The two main singles from the album remain classics. For a band that went on to achieve the success that Daft Punk did, that is testament to their strength. I have to say, I think it deserves recognition for its influence that we spoke about last week when we went through the album. Not only in making the band themselves global megastars, and okay, Discovery probably propelled them to that level, but this laid the foundation. There's no, there's no denying that, surely. But it's lasting influence on music. As I said last week, I really do think that this was as instrumental as acts like the Chemical Brothers uh, and Underworld and the Prodigy of propelling dance music into the mainstream and making it commercially huge for at least a decade. I'm going on. I'm going on. I'm sorry. European dance music was in the doldrums. Daft Punk revived it until it lost its way again with people like David Getter, who I have no time for. Eight out of 10. And I think I'm doing it a disservice by giving it eight out of 10, but I have to acknowledge what you said about the lack of album craft, because I do agree. Discovery is probably their best album. Eight out of 10. Fair enough. So then we move on to Moon Safari. So where do you come down on it? Okay. I love this album. I would encourage anyone after a hard day's work to listen to this, lights down, headphones on, and just melt into the music because I guarantee it will just make you feel all kinds of lovely. There are, well, there's one weak point on the album. We talked about that. It blends retro futurism, as you've said, and it's a great phrase. I agree with it. With modern electronica or modern at the time at least 
I've always thought it's a shame that Air haven't got more recognition for this album and any of their albums. I don't think they released a weak record, actually. But it doesn't have the same legacy as Homework. And whilst it's not the fault of Air or the fault of the album, its legacy was, as we've said, somewhat tedious, somewhat ubiquitous, somewhat saturated. Seven out of ten. What about you? So despite its use in wanky bars, despite the fact it potentially births much Eber, I'm taking it on its own merits. And when we um, decided how to divvy out the albums, I said to you, I wanted to to lead on, on this album because I hadn't heard it for so long. And I really wanted to hear it. And I'd listened to it. And I listened to it after a day, like quite a tough day at work, actually. The first, the first re-listen. And I was transported transported to a Gallic space odyssey and I had a lovely 45 minutes and I think to transport and cover so many themes in such a short space of time with so much depth and musicality that I think despite the fact that unfortunately it birthed a movement that was abhorrent that's a bit harsh okay abhorrent may be a bit harsh but like tedious is what I said yeah okay although i'm not gonna hold that against it because i'm taking the album on itself and it it has one weak song on it it is a really good album and it what i want from something like this is to is to transport me and that's what it did so bearing in mind the the weak the weak elements of it and that i don't want to give out a 10 until until I find until we talk about a perfect album. Oh my I'm going god! Eight, I'm going eight out of ten. Oh my! No, you can't have a draw. No, but don't shit out of this. No, no, I'm not. I'm refusing an eight. You go again. <laughs> no, you differentiate between the two. It's no right. Okay, then if that's a, if that's the case that you are forcing me to, I am. I'm st- I'm sticking with eight out of ten for that. I'm going to give a seven and a half then because Defunk is such a fucking great tune that it re- it, it deserves an extra half a point. I mean, we've arrived at the right answer. So uh, thanks, everyone. <laughs> <We'll see. laughs> I mean, wow. Okay, we have, a, we have our first disagreement, although I don't think it's resulted in a different... <laughs> um, I know what you said about homework, but... I wondered if eight was too low. It's so influential. Yeah, but just because something's influential doesn't like I'm I'm reviewing. Oh, come on. The, no, 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 I'm, no, review, no, I'm no. reviewing the album. It's nothing to do with what with what it influenced or whether I like that or not. Like I am taking it as a as an album, as a collection of songs. And yes, I am bearing in mind what it may have influenced further on, but in terms of a collection, a collection of songs as an album, as a as a piece of art, the Moon Safari is a better is a better collection. Yeah, I is. mean, that's your opinion, but it's emphatically wrong. I'm afraid. I love Moon nah. Safari; it's great. But like, you come on, you're talking about one of the, oh Jesus, no, 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 no. <laughs> people are just listening to us saying no. <laughs> we can't have another draw. Okay, so are you sure you're happy to give homework an extra half point? Defunk, defunk being so fucking good. 
because I can't like in all conscience, I cannot give Moon Safari more than eight out of ten because it doesn't deserve an eight and a half or a nine in my in my mind. No, so so I can I cannot in all conscience rank them at that level. It is it is a really really good album, but Defunk is such a fucking banger that I've got to give it an extra half a point just for itself. Well, okay, we're, listen, we're arguing over half a point. The important thing is that the result I wanted is the one that uh, has, has transpired. <laughs> Homework is the winner by half a point. So it's, as I understand, it's 15 and a half to 15. Am I right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, Dear listeners, what you've seen is a is a, a pure example of bullying in the workplace. I mean, I love the fact that you think we're getting money for this because we ain't. <laughs> <laughs> I respect your opinion, but I mean, well, okay. Listen, homework has won, and that's all that matters. Okay, so I, I suppose the next the next thing is to it's your choice. The yes, next clash. Please tell us what we're going through next. So, as Tim will, um, I'm sure, attest to that many times my my brain, my thoughts drift to Bowie or Bowie, depending on how you want to say it. And I've deliberately said Bowie just to annoy Tim. <laughs> but I'm not actually going to do one of his albums. However, I am going to do something. I'm going to do a clash that relates to him and has he has a huge influence on it. So he was producer on Lou Reed's 1972 album Transformer. He also had production duties on Iggy Pop's solo debut, the 1977, The Idiot. So this is the clash that we're doing because obviously there is the Bowie link. There is also the sounds of both albums are related to the development in his sound and how he influenced others. So there are myriad links. And also we get to talk loads about their uh, drug use. There's all kinds of fun to be had with this. Oh, great. Okay. I am uh, I'm looking forward to that. So just remind the listeners again what their homework is for next time. So, so your homework is to listen to the 1972 Lou Reed um, album Transformer, his second, his second album, and Iggy Pop's debut uh, solo album, 1977's The Idiot. Right. So I guess not much left for us to go through today so uh, as usual kev please just remind the listeners how they might want to keep in touch with the show so if you're a fan of um hateful discourse or basically um racially abusing people you can um you can contact us on our twitter account i mean not that our twitter account racially abuses people but i'm led to believe that that's what generally happens on twitter um, you can contact us at clash album and um, we also have an instagram account which is clash album or if you if you are likely read and a lock and a rock tortoise, you can send us um, an old school email at albumclash at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, by all means, subscribe to the show if you've not already. Tell your friends about it. If you want to leave a review for us on one or several podcasting <laughs> platforms, it, it means a lot to us. As we discussed before, like as long as it's five stars, you can call us pricks on it. Just or you could do five stars. Hashtag Tim was wrong. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> right, okay. I think we've had enough silliness for this week. So uh, thanks very much for listening. We will see you next time. And uh, I've been Tim. I've been Kev. Ta-ra now. Take care. Bye-bye. Ta-ra. Bye-bye.